Okay, good to see everyone. Wow, 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 wow. All right, can somebody build a fire? Um, this is chilly. It's great to see everybody. It's great to see faces that we've seen for uh, not for many years, uh, from Hong Kong when we lived in Hong Kong to uh, our home in California. As we had uh, Alex there at UCSD, uh, we were here in Northern Virginia, my wife and I, Alex, with our, um, we had one child at the time. We have four now, as Phil mentioned. Um, Phil is, yes, Phil's a great friend. And um, of all the achievements that I could possibly think of in my life, not of all of them, but the greatest uh, right at the top is knowing Phil for so long and having a friendship with, uh, with him. Um, I was thinking about it on the way over here. Uh, since we've met each other, the church has changed its name four times. We we met in the mainline church, right? And then um, it was the Boston Movement or the Crossroads Movement. Then it was the Boston Movement. And now uh, it's the ICOC and um, whatever our name is now and whatever it will be. I, um, I've always considered myself probably more a part of the restoration movement, right? Restoring the Bible, restoring uh, the word, um, so yeah, today I then go over to Staten Island where we spent two years in Staten Island. The way it worked out, uh, I had a layover on the way back uh, to Madrid and uh, Phil said, hey, can you stop in and preach? And so I said, yeah, great. So he said here in Northern Virginia and Staten Island, the two places, uh, I'm sorry, it's Staten Island and Northern Jersey. Uh, and uh, the other place was Brooklyn, which I got to preach uh, about a year ago at Phil's invitation. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, but I also feel kind of like, you know, preaching here and then over in Staten Island. I don't know if you guys remember a guy, Deion Sanders, you know, where he played baseball and then he had to run off to a football game and, you know, kind of like that. Um, not really. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am honored to be here uh, with the uh, family of Christ. Uh, Father, we uh, trust in you. We love you. Uh, we put our faith in you, God, and you um, uh, bring us together. Uh, so encouraging to see faith uh, that has been here for so long from so many faces. Uh, God, be with me now. Get me out of the way as I preach your word. Uh, let me just um, let you uh, share, and I pray that our hearts are open to uh, learning from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, some context, yeah. So I was in the business world as a in manufacturing for about 25, 30 years, and um, had done that. Uh, changed ministries many times. And then about seven years ago, we uh, sold our business. And, you know, it kind of was like, um, I talked to my wife and it was like, it was time for us to either put up or shut up. You know, we saw a lot with the church uh, that we felt needed to be different. We, you know, we had started a Bible talk that grew and really it grew out of uh, a lot of people that a lot of disciples that were looking for a place to just land and and grow spiritually. And so it was, it really compelled us to think about uh, doing this uh, full time. Um, first thing I learned being in this ministry, being in the ministry is um, you guys are a lot of work. Um, and it's not always invited. It's not always work we want. Um, but, uh, but no, we felt compelled. But after about five years uh, in California, we're really wrestling with what to do next. Uh, God had blessed the ministry, but um, it also had grown up and started within the ministry. And it just, it felt like it was time for us to figure out what God wanted. So we started fasting and praying about our future. And a brother very close to me said, hey, what do you think about going to Madrid and leading the church? Um, and I thought, 
Amen. That's uh, God's hand. Uh, first morning of a fast. If God listens to fast. Um, and uh, the challenge is when he answers it, right, then we've got to be prepared for that answer. Um, and so uh, my family, my grandparents had uh, migrated from Spain uh, back in the 50s uh, to escape the revolution that was going on, to uh, get away from Franco and all that. And my grandfather went to Cuba and my grandmother um, came over to Ellis Island and stayed with uh, pneumonia on Ellis Island for a couple of weeks. And then they came into this country. So I always had this longing for Spain, but I never really tried to see it materialize. Being a disciple and, you know, you're doing one Bible talk to the next and just living as you live. But uh, so this all of a sudden just was an amazing gift from God. And uh, so we've been in Madrid now for about a year and three months. And uh, they asked us, so we went into this church. Uh, thankfully, not we were able to be self-supported. Um, so we went in just really with an idea of getting to know the church first. They'd been through a lot of changes, a lot of leadership changes, a lot of things, uh, you know, as everybody. And if you've been around for a while, right, this church has had a lot of history, been through a lot together. Um, so we were there just spending time. And then in January, they asked if we would take on the leadership role of the church. Um, and it was great because we were able to sort of interview them as well. We asked them to interview us and then we interview them and, you know, hey, here's what we've heard. Here's what we've seen. Here's what we know. And uh, so we really feel incredibly supported now. This is this has really been amazing to see the way God's brought it together. And then uh, back in May, uh, a brother, an evangelist uh, in LA came out to Madrid and he appointed me evangelist, right? Um, it's, it makes me laugh, actually, after all these years uh, to be an evangelist. So I, I take it very seriously, actually, to be honest. Um, I believe uh, right now the Iberian Peninsula uh, is starving for the word of God. Uh, Madrid is a, or Spain is a country of 63% atheists. Uh, and the Catholic Church isn't doing any favors, right? They're not doing anything to change that whatsoever. Um, and so uh, we feel very compelled to, to reach the peninsula, to uh, build up this church in Madrid to the glory of God. Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, you know, uh, when we pray, we say, be your name, right? We give God his glory that is deserved to him. And then he says, we ask for his will to be done in our lives. The will of God that's done in heaven that we would bring it down to earth and that will to be done in our lives as well. And that is a challenge to ask for God's will to be done in our life. Isn't it? It's, it's scary to think about it right now, to surrender completely, arms in the air, and say, God, I am willing to do whatever you ask me to do and to lay down our lives. Because it conflicts with our will, doesn't it? Our will is always in the way of everything we do. We are always the center. Did anybody come in here this morning just so excited to give to the fellowship? Woke up and he couldn't wait to get here to encourage the disciples. You know, but we kind of wake up and we come like, oh, I hope it's good today. What are you going to tell me and how are you going to help me today? Right? And the church is always supposed to be at, about this, encouraging others and helping others, right? And so we long and look for God's will. Now, if you turn over to John 12, this is where we'll spend most of our time. And I'm a little chilly if you haven't noticed. So Madrid is like either really hot or cold. It's desert, high desert, and then it's winter. Um, it's no excuse. I'm just cold. Uh, John. 
chapter 12. This is an amazing passage here. Um, in John 12, this is now the Passion Week for Christ. Um, he has now been coming up to Jerusalem, to the temple for the festivals. Uh, it's been a, about three years now, just over three years, and he's been going into the uh, various festivals that were going on throughout the year in Jerusalem and teaching and healing. Uh, we know he, he threw out the Pharisees. He turned over the tables because they were turning the temple into a marketplace. So he had created quite a stir um, over the years because you go to the temple and then you leave. And we don't, they didn't have, um, this will be a surprise to you, but they didn't have iPhones back then. So it, they didn't really, you know, they couldn't go like this to find Jesus and look. So he was able to come and teach and then just assimilate with the crowd and leave. But knowing about him had really spread. And so now this is his last trip into Jerusalem. It's his Passion Week. But as he's going to Jerusalem, it's thousands upon thousands are now waiting to see Jesus. They're hungry to see and to, to just Find out more about this Messiah that is here. And thousands upon thousands are there in Jerusalem waiting. He had just healed Lazarus. Now they want to kill Lazarus too. And he comes in and he, he comes riding on a donkey. Right? Isaiah says, put away your swords and bring out your plowshares. Right? He comes on a donkey, not on a war horse. He didn't come to conquer. He came to give and to serve and to surrender his life. The same people that now are chanting Hosanna are going to be yelling, crucify him. And he's going into the city and he sits down. And these are some of his last words that he shares uh, that are recorded in John chapter 12. You know, it says, uh, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Uh, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So right here you have some Greeks that they come to the temple and they want to go see Jesus. I never understood this for a very long time, right? And because Jesus is like, hey, why would I throw the gifts uh, to not, not the children of Israel? And um, it's been really fun in Madrid. I, I just to get us all, all on the same page, we have done some series, but now I'm going through the Old Testament of, we started in Noah, a little bit of creation, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, telling the story all the way through to the cross and how this faith started with Abraham as one man. This faith in Christ, not faith, the faith in God started with Abraham and goes through Isaac and then to Jacob and the story. And so, the people of Israel were waiting for their Messiah. They had been going to the temple. They've been worshiping. And now they see Jesus and they wonder, is it him? So the Greeks find out about it. It says some Greeks come. And, and I imagine it's not just like two guys. I imagine it's probably a little contingent of the Greeks that want to come. And they want to they see Jesus. They want to sit down with him. And this is a really curious response that Jesus has. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, 
it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves his life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, and that's verse 27, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So Jesus says, you know, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. And it's, he's talking about the death that he's going to die, right? As an individual, he has to die so that he can produce many, right? That's why we're here. We're all here because he died for us. But the same applies for us, right? We, at the same time, because he goes on to say, unless um, uh, anyone who loves their life will lose it. So, you know, he's talking about the death he's going to die, but he's also talking about the death that we need to die. You know, so we're all a seed. We are. We're all this little seed that at some point when we meet Christ, we have to decide what we are going to do with our lives. Are we going to surrender it to him or are we going to hang on to it? Are we just going to say the seed that is its shape and who it is and this is what it'll be and this is all it's ever going to be? Or you fall to the ground, right, and die. And, um, you know, how to die to self. Um, isn't it about our wants always, uh, our needs, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our future, our thoughts, all of it. It's always. And, and Jesus says, you know, we, we die. When, you, when it dies, you know, I, I was baptized 36 years ago. And, you know, uh, to the kids, you, you ever swim in the pool in the summertime with your friends and you're like, the kids play this game off of a diving board and you're like, goodbye crew world and you just sort of fall into the you know that's what it is that's saying goodbye to this world we we die to the world we die to ourselves and we live for him now problem with that is we want right we want affluence we want personal happiness we want respect we want to be influential right we want to be important and we want to be relevant uh, you know, I was listening to a sermon, a, a written out sermon the other day, and it was talking about the need for relevance and the need for, uh, you know, being important and, and, and respect and being liked. Uh, the sermon was from 1845, but it could have been plugged into today when talking about likes and being liked and being respected. First Timothy uh, chapter four it says, there will be terrible times in the last days. We'll say people will be lovers of themselves, right? Taking selfies everywhere we go. Is it, you know, that's the, the thing now is when you used to go away somewhere, you'd take a picture of the monument. You'd take a picture of the mountain. Now what do you do? You put your face in front of it and then you take a picture of it. It's the self. But what do we, what is the, what's the answer? You know, on our phone, there's that little button you push and it turns the image around, right? That is where we are supposed to be. It's dead to self. It's not about us. It's not a self, which is too close to selfish, isn't it? Turn it around. Um, there'll be terrible times in the last day. Um, the challenge is, you know, a lot of times since we got into this ministry 
in California, there's a big push to make the church relevant, right? To make the church cool. Uh, you know, kids don't want to go to that. Kids don't want to go to this. And there's some, there's some wisdom in it, right? But there's nothing relevant about dying to yourself. There's nothing that we can sell to the world. It's only when you meet Christ that you make that decision that you're going to die and the seed falls in the ground and just surrenders. Right? That's what we do every day when we get up and we read our Bibles. We surrender in the soil of Christ to grow. And we lose our shape. We don't even know how it happens. Do you really know how these trees all grew? They're miracles in front of our eyes. That's why there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's because it's so obvious that there's a God. It's so obvious people are going to be just, yeah, I'm not saying somebody gave me an invitation and said, hope and love weekend, and I didn't go. I should have gone. You know, but there's the miracle in front of us. And if, uh, just like the seed, we die, and he comes to life, right? We just have to wake up and surrender our lives every day. Um, Matthew 6 22. I knew I was going to read that. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 20. It says, But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, if then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, when I, uh, even when I referenced this verse many times, I, I always thought of it as thinking about lust, right? About your eye, what you're looking at, are you lusting, are you struggling? And there's something there, but it's not talking about lust of the flesh. It's, it is talking about lust of our desires and our cravings. You know, what do, we, what do we want? What are we after? What are we pursuing? You know, if your eyes are good, it's a store up treasure in heaven. That implies that what we do here matters, doesn't it? I mean, we don't go there very often, but it really does imply that we can be storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And when you look at the parable of the town, I really do believe, I mean, we believe the Bible is true. We believe what Jesus said is true. We believe, you know, and I had a little epiphany a couple of years ago that I really said to myself, what if everything in the Bible is actually true? Meaning that the parable of the town is Jesus is going to stand there and say, okay, you believed in me, but what did you do? with what I gave you, right? And I always used to shy away from pointing to something I did, right? Because false humility. But now you live, hey, yes, Jesus, I'm doing that for you, right? Now may not be done perfectly, but I'm gonna go in that, rather than bury it, right? That is the thing, oh, I was afraid, I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, I, you were a hard man, you know, and I wasn't sure if you really wanted me to open an orphanage. What, you know? we do for the Lord. Store up treasures where vermin and rust will not destroy. And it's, it's funny, we went back, so one of this trip, I was over in California, we're selling our house, and we're selling a lot of our stuff. We've got a lot of stuff. Um, just happens. Don't know how it happens. You know, it, uh, and it's stuff that 
I know somebody's going to throw away at some point, but for some reason, we just can't throw it away ourselves. You know? It's like the food in the fridge. You can throw it away when it goes bad, but you can't throw it away when it's good. And uh, so we go back to the uh, storage unit and uh, it's been about a year. We've had everything wrapped up and already there's little vermin and little stuff going all through it. It's already like, yeah, nobody wants to touch it because of spiders and it, it's already almost worthless. You know, it's just, you know, we're storing those things up, aren't we? We're, we're, we're just putting those things aside and where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. Right? That's where we got to work on that treasure thing. What is our treasure? What do we really value? But it says the eye is the lamp of the body. See, then you jump down, it says in verse 23, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters either who love the one and hate the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow. That's pretty specific. Uh, you know, it's interesting. There's a uh, speaker I'm sure you're familiar with, Tim Keller. He does some terrific work. Has this uh, message on greed. Uh, he said, you know, Jesus talks about greed in uh, his teaching more than anything else. Um, more than adultery. You know, he said that the thing is, you know, when you're in some in a more relationship in an adultery, you wake up, you're like, you don't wonder, <laughs> you know, you're in sin, right? You're like, oh, yeah. He said, but greed, you don't know. It just gets there. You know, it starts to envelop part of you and who you are. And suddenly uh, you don't see it, which is why Jesus taught about it uh, so much. You know, store up those treasures, uh, you know. Uh, not on earth, but the I. And so what do we look at? You know, is it, are we, are we lusting after cars? Are we lusting after homes? Are we lusting after things? Is, you know, are we craving a, a bigger 401k? Are we desiring, are we looking for that next, that's going to just change everything for us? Are we hoping for whatever it is? First, we got to die to ourselves. And then we got to consider where our treasure is stored, right? Um. We'll finish up here. We'll get ready for our communion message. Um, and uh, back in John chapter 12, where Jesus says, um, now my soul is troubled. Uh, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Um, you know, if you remember at the very beginning of John in John chapter two, um, when uh, they go to the, the wedding banquet with his disciples, he had just called his first disciples. There was about, I think, nine of them or so that went to this wedding. And Mary, his mother, was there. And uh, Jesus' dad doesn't appear to be in the picture anymore. And, um, and they run out of wine at the wedding. Tragic, right? <laughs> um, it's a funny illustration for the announcement of Jesus' ministry because it tells you so much about the God we serve. You would think that this is just a common problem. This is not something to bother God with, right? This is a wedding and they're having fun anyway, too much fun. And look, and they ran out of wine and what? But God cares about your life. God cares about the, just the little nonsensical things that, that, you know, when we go to him. And so Mary goes to Jesus and says, you know, help. And 
right? And Jesus says to Mary, um, you know, woman, why do you involve me? Right? He's 30 years old. If he was 16, he'd be like, mom, why? But he says, you know, my hour has not yet come. And it's funny because we think, well, there's a minute he did a miracle. And when we look, Jesus says, you know, at John 12, he says, now is his hour. Jesus didn't come to be the miracle worker from Galilee or the wizard from wherever. He came to save our souls, to die on a cross for us. That was his hour. He said, this was his hour. This is why he came. And this is what we celebrate. This is why we don't suffer the cross of Christ the way he did. We carry our cross, right? We have our cross and denying ourselves and dying and being the seed in the ground and growing, but we carry that cross. And here's the thing that I'm learning about the cross. The cross is not the things in my life. The cross is not your husband or your wife or your children or your job or your boss or your you know, your parents, the cross, the cross is how you respond to all that. It's you drop on your knees in response to these things, to carry your cross. See, Jesus said, I could have called 10,000 angels, right, to destroy the world. He could have done it. So it wasn't them that was his cross. His cross was in front of him. His cross was there to save us and for us. The cross in our lives is how we respond to those in our life. You know, those around us, we can say that's our cross because they're a challenge. No, we wear that cross and carry it to be like Christ. And so right now, let's celebrate together in prayer and uh, just in gratitude. Phil, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, just being here with all of you. Be that seed that falls to the ground and, and surrender. Throw up your hands and to the will of God, uh, whatever it might be. But we know, we study this, John 29, you know, God knows the plans he has for you to prosper you and not to harm you. We teach that. Why can't we pray it? Why can't we surrender our wills? Surrender your will to God. Amen. And let's uh, thank God for uh, the communion that we have. Amen. Pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much uh, that we could be here and celebrate your son uh, out here in this brisk uh, fall morning uh, in Jersey, so wonderful to be here. Um, and uh, but the cross of of Jesus, that as our example, as a seed who died, fell to the ground, uh, that we would imitate that and be like Him. Um, God, I pray for this church here uh, that you continue to bless it. Uh, thank you for the forgiveness uh, that is found in Christ. It's through His name we pray. Amen. Amen.